there, and welcome to Me Teach You. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Today, I'm going to teach y'all about the man who killed Halloween. Whoa. Yeah, I know. It's seasonal, but it's not Halloween. But you know what? It feels right. Maybe someday someone will be listening to this by Halloween. And yeah, then... there you go. And they'll be like, whoa, it was meant to be. Killed Halloween? But what do you mean? Well, I'm going to start with a question to you. Okay. When you're a kid and you went trick-or-treating, do you remember your parents being paranoid about candy? Oh, yeah. They had to check it for drugs and razor blades. Yeah, exactly. When I was a kid, my mom used to get me and my sister to dump out both of our sacks. We took, like, pillowcases. Right. What did you take? I had one of those plastic pumpkins. Oh, yeah. You know, like the plastic <laughs> jack-o'-lanterns. Were they McDonald's or are they something I, else? I don't know, but it was like, you know. I've was, seen them. Yeah. So many times. A, a big, like a jack-o'-lantern-shaped plastic bucket. That's that, adorable. Yeah, people put their candy into so i remember like um we both dumped them out on the floor and we had to sort them like sort them according to you know these are gummies these are chocolates these are blah blah but it was also kind of like a way for my mom to check them all Mm -hmm. and then when she was done making sure none of the packages were open she'd pick up every single one of the coffee crisps and take it (laughs) (laughs) and she'd be like that was the the mom tax for for inspection yeah absolutely but it's interesting that nowadays people are still scared of kids getting their halloween candy poisoned yeah it's a real fear oh yeah and the interesting thing is is that has happened so rarely in history that this is like the big case the one i'm about to tell you tonight oh and it's not a stranger that's the kind of you know it's not just some random person on the street that killed a kid yeah that being said the biggest and i believe the worst case of halloween poisoning Happened in the year 1974 in Deer Park, Texas. Ooh. The victim was an eight-year-old named Timothy O'Brien, which is like the saddest little kid name ever. Yeah, little Timmy. Little Tim, tiny Tim. And the person who poisoned him wasn't a stranger, like I said, it was his father. Oh my God. Now that you know the end, let me bring you back to the beginning. Okay. (laughs) Rewind. Ronald Clark O'Brien was a 30-year-old father of two. He worked as an optician and you'll find out soon that he actually had a bunch of jobs he wasn't exactly like a you know mm, he was a, like a job drifter he was a job drifter yeah i think he had over 20 jobs in the past 10 years since this happened wow well you and you have something in common <laughs> well i'm a freelancer i'm not a fucking like ride the rails ronald like this guy <laughs> he was also very like popular and well known in his community he was a deacon at his church oh i had to look that up you know this is not the only <laughs> deacon at a church I've heard of in a sinister story. Oh, I know. Just a little guy called the BTK. <laughs> yeah, I know. They don't exactly do background checks. Yeah. Do it's like a really low level church position that's open to anyone. It's you like don't a need good to, like, cover. Yeah, you don't need to have like, you can get married still and stuff. Is that yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my tip number two. If you want to hide crimes, become a deacon. Or it's don't become easy. a deacon. <laughs> don't become a deacon. Although then you have a whole community being like, you didn't do it. Let him out of jail. Yeah, exactly. He also, I really like this fact, he performed as a soloist in the choir at church. Oh, wow. I imagine he like has a beautiful soprano voice, but I don't think he does. Like a child, like... You know how when pop stars sing the national anthem and then yeah. they like really like really go overkill? for it and yeah. they do overkill. I imagine him doing that during choir. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? He's yeah. like, look, look at me. Look at me. Yeah. So on Halloween night, Ronald went out trick or treating with his two kids. All okay. right. He had Timothy and he also had Elizabeth, who is three years younger. So five. Right. And he also went out with his neighbor who brought his kids. Okay. So you got like, you know, it's a pretty normal little setup. You go out with a little group, you get By a bunch of candy. By all accounts, it should be wholesome. Yes, it should be. Here's how it worked. 
Ronald would go up to a house with the kids while the neighbor would stand on the street watching them. Because I'm assuming, like, you don't want to just gang up, like, six people, boom, 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 boom. Can I throw a quick disclaimer in there? (laughs) Yeah. This is not us teaching you how to poison children. It's us teaching you about someone that did (laughs) poison children. Yeah, and why he didn't get away with it. And how you can get away with it if you don't follow his rules. No, 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 (laughs) no. No, truly, though. It was a sloppy job. Okay. So imagine that, okay? He goes up with the kids. He comes back. Oh, I got this candy. Go to the next house, all right? They find a house that's dark. Okay. And not only is this house dark, it has a weird layout. And so there's kind of like a wall in front of the door. Mm-hmm. So you can't really see, you know, the guy and the neighbor on the street couldn't really see them go up. Right. But what he did see is that the group, the group of kids went up along with Ronald. And then the kids came back and go, nobody home. Nobody home. I mean, if the lights are off, don't even go I know. knock on the door. Like people don't want you there. I think Ronald was like, let's go to this one. Yeah. I think he was really encouraging it. The kids basically just like happily went to the next house at Ronald's like, no, I'm going back there. I'm going to see what they got. And so he goes back, he goes behind the little wall and he comes out and he goes, guys, there was somebody there. And he gave me five giant pixie sticks. <sighs> and how giant are we talking? Like 20 inches. Oh, wow. They're too big. I mean, like full size candy bars is one thing, but I'm, I almost don't buy that big of pixie sticks oh, just imagine house. giving like a fucking yardstick of sugar <laughs> to your child it's insane well the idea is i guess this is a st- person who doesn't have to hang out with the children after yeah <laughs> that when they're all sugared up so he gave out two to his own kids mm-hmm. two to his neighbor's kids and then it actually started drizzling it was raining it's kind of a crappy night so they drove back to their neighborhood and on the way back to his house he saw a child from church and yeah. he goes here you go kid take this pixie stick Okay. And as you can probably imagine, this is the the weapon right. of murder. So here's what happened. All right. So after he gave this random poor child the pixie stick, the fifth pixie stick, yeah. he goes home and he's like, all right, Timothy, you can pick one candy before you go to bed. Did your parents let you do that? Or did um, they just say like, do whatever you want? Yeah. It was kind of like go nuts, but don't eat them all tonight. I only got one. So my mom and this murderer has a lot in common. Yeah. And so he said, which one do you want? And you know... I wonder if his kid picked the pixie stick because it was the biggest. Because yeah. logically, like in your kid brain, you're like, I'm getting the most bang for my buck. Yeah. Or if his dad like pushed him into it. Yeah. But either way, the pixie stick was chosen. Okay. And a few minutes later, there was a 911 call made by Ronald who said, my kid ate poison candy. <laughs> the paramedics came and less than an hour after he ate that pixie stick, he was dead. Oh, my God. So the cause of his death was quickly determined to be cyanide poisoning. Holy Christ. And not just cyanide, not just a little bit, like enough to kill a grown person four or five times over. Jesus. Like an, an exo- like incredible amount of cyanide that was in this pixie stick, poured in with the sugar, and then restapled. What a monster. Ronald said, oh, it must have been the pixie sticks. I went to a weird house. And the police were like, they didn't suspect him at first. Right. Because, I mean, this is like kind of like has been an urban legend even before this. Yeah. There's some crazy person out there is poisoning kids. They're like, okay, first thing we need to do is find the other four pixie sticks. Yeah. Right. So they took it from his daughter. Okay. That was easy. And then they took it from the neighbor. Luckily, those kids hadn't eaten them. And then they went to the fifth kid's house mm-hmm. and the parents couldn't find it anywhere. And oh, it was my the God. middle of the night. And they were scrambling around. It wasn't in a sack. He's like, they're like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? They go up into his room and their son is sleeping in bed, holding the pixie stick to his chest because he couldn't get it open because the stables were like too hard for him to pry open. Yeah. And so he just fell asleep holding it. Oh my God. And it had like an incredible amount of cyanide in it. Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
so none of the other kids got sick or died. That's, That's like one really good thing. Meanwhile, the police said, hey, guys, there might be someone out there poisoning Halloween candy. So if you want to hand in your candy to us, <laughs> it sounds like a ploy, but yeah. they're legitimately afraid. The that- oldest trick in the book. <laughs> yeah. Rile the parents up and they'll get so much free candy. Yeah. But parents brought in sacks of candy. They were not fucking around. Yeah. They brought in just like the whole sack. Like everything. Every single thing. The police tested and tested and tested. Nothing. The only thing that had cyanide in it were those pixie sticks. The police asked the kids, where did you get the pixie sticks? Yeah. They said, I don't remember. Because, I mean, it was just like a blur. Yeah. They got it. They didn't actually get them. The, the dad got them, right? Yeah. And so Ronald's like, I remember. I got them from this very house. So he took him to the house. And they said, okay, what did the guy look like? He goes, oh, I didn't see a face. I just saw the door opened ever so slightly and an arm came out with five pixie sticks in it. All I remember is the arm was extremely hairy and then it retreated and the door closed. The police were like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) And so they find out who owns the house. And luckily it was actually a man who was not at home at Halloween and he had an airtight alibi. Yeah. Want to know how airtight it was? How airtight? He worked as an air traffic controller who'd been at work. He didn't come home till 11 p.m., which is way after Timothy died. Yeah. And his presence was confirmed by nearly 200 people who'd seen him there. Yeah. Also, he's an air traffic controller. You can't just not show up to your job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people would know. Yeah, like I'm There'd sure. there be records <laughs> of that. <laughs> exactly. It's such an important job. And so the police were like, okay... And they started investigating Ronald because naturally, I mean, he's the closest to it. He's the one nobody else saw the pixie sticks. No one else saw the man. It was he just was him. volunteering a lot of information. Yes, completely. And oh my God, he was the worst. The day after his son died, he actually sung a solo at church where he took the lyrics of a song to be about his, he changed it to be about his sons. Like Jesus. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> and everyone was like, of course, losing their mind crying and stuff. But this yeah. is before he was a suspect. Do we know the motive, like why he did this? Oh yeah. Okay. That'll, that'll become apparent very, very soon. Okay. The police started investigating Ronald and they found some very interesting things. He was over $100,000 in debt. Oh, that's always the case. I know, which, which in nowadays money is about half a million. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. He also had a terrible track record with keeping jobs and he was actually about to get fired from his current job because they suspected him of theft. Oh. Would not, I mean, he probably did it. Let's face it. Yeah, like, he did it. He did it. Yeah, he, he thefted theft. all over the place. They found out his, okay, this is like the unholy trinity. His house had been foreclosed on. His car was about to be repossessed and he had defaulted on a number of bank loans. Mm. This is like, stressors as they say so he's right? about to become homeless yes and not just that his family i'm, I'm wondering if his family even knew about it yeah you know? it's like one not. of those things where he's like i'm very successful we're great look let's buy lots of things and then he's like secretly he's like <laughs> but the question is how would killing your children help with any of these problems yeah how would you get how could you profit off your child's death but it turns out that very sloppily he'd taken out a life insurance policy on his kids oh my god just months before and he kept increasing it and increasing it, increasing it and so it totaled for both of his children which makes me think that he tried to kill he wanted to kill yeah. his daughter too it totaled about sixty thousand dollars in good old 1970s bucks there was evidence of him visiting a chemical supply shop just before Halloween asking about cyanide. Oh, my God. Like, specifically cyanide, not just like, hey, what's up? Oh, what a fucking 
piece of shit. I know. It's it's horrible. And the reason he didn't he didn't actually buy the cyanide at that store because they said they won't sell in quantities under five pounds. Yeah. And then he left. But oh. I mean, there you go. So he was arrested on November fifth, okay. aka a couple days later. So during his trial, coworkers spoke about he, how he had a bizarre fascination with cyanide, how he'd brought it up in conversation like several times. Mm. His brother-in-law and sister-in-law said on the day of Timothy's funeral, he had been talking about how he was so excited to spend the insurance money. He was like, I'm going to go on a long vacation. I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff, like in a weird way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like it's, it's bizarre, truly bizarre. Yeah. And most damningly of all, he had an acquaintance who was a chemist. And he said that Ronald had asked him specifically how much cyanide it would take to kill a person. <laughs> wow. Despite all this, he said he was innocent. I'm innocent, he said. They always do. He said there was a crazed maniac. Like his entire defense was like based on the urban legend of some crazy child killer that the hairy armed man yeah. <laughs> existed just to kill children. But despite that, on June 3rd, the following year, a jury took less than an hour to find Ronald guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Yeah. And then they took just under an hour and a half to sentence him to death because this was texas yeah oh right texas of course you don't want to do this in texas hot tip you're going to do this do it somewhere else (laughs) don't do it in texas not a good place it's our most morbid episode yet i don't know about that so on march 31st 1984 shortly after midnight which i find very disturbing that they execute prisoners after midnight i think they do it during business hours right isn't that creepy after midnight why that's so weird to me in the dead of night yeah i mean i mean, I don't like this i don't like um how is it called capital punishment yeah i'm not a big fan of it and i think lethal injection is horrific but there's something extra creepy about happening after midnight yeah it's like um when you're not allowed to feed the gremlins yeah don't feed the gremlins and don't execute prisoners after midnight so he was lethally injected And also, it's important to note that when he was in prison, he was incredibly unpopular. People, other prisoners on death row hated him because he killed his own son. Yeah. And he was just like a pariah there. I can imagine. Uh, Well, isn't it sort of a famous thing that like child murderers are not treated well in prison? Yeah. So he didn't have a very fun time. But I mean, he he kept getting his um, death date moved forward and forward. Mm. I feel like I didn't, if I was actually guilty and I was no chance I was going to like get off, I would want to not be moved forward yeah it's just like you're sitting there and waiting it's like the dread when you say move forward do you mean like closer no i mean uh i guess i don't mean be moved back yeah the opposite (laughs) okay (laughs) i meant move forward into the future Uh, (laughs) is that how they say no that's the opposite of what they say so i mean it was a long time like nine years after he got convicted and put in jail he was put to death he said i'm innocent i'm innocent even his last statement was like you're making a big mistake but despite that everybody know he did it yeah and that's the story of the man who killed halloween and you know even though he only killed one kid 40 years ago how many years ago 40 something years ago his legacy still lives on well, more than 40 in the years, fear like 50 of years parents almost. yeah uh well thank you sarah for teaching me that awful story you're welcome Now it's my turn and I am going to teach you, this is by the way, much more lighthearted 
So you can hang. It is another crime criminal story, but it's not. There's no murder involved, so we I'm can out. rejoice for I'm that. I'm out. I'm gonna teach you about the Acid King. Okay. Now, are we talking about Steve Bannon? Is it about the King <laughs> of Acid that dissolves people in his bathtub? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm talking about LSD. Oh, interesting. Like dropping acid, like the ass, the the King of Acid. You know, I don't know anything about acid. It makes you hallucinate. Okay. I know it has like kaleidoscope. Like whenever I see those weird like 70s kind of. This is is the 70s too. So the story kind of starts in the 70s, but it goes beyond that. Okay. So yeah, and and one interesting thing to note about acid is it takes a very 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 small amount of it to get you high. Like okay. we're talking like a microscopic. Is that amount. why you see those like tiny papers yes. that people do and they it's, put it in their tongues? It's called blotter paper. Okay, that's got correct. it. And sometimes they have really cool patterns on them. Yeah, so okay. they often do. They'll have like weird pictures or things like that. You put it on your tongue and then you hallucinate like trip balls as the, <laughs> as the children say as the doctors say so a man named william leonard pickard was the acid king okay uh he's actually still alive today oh shit good yeah. for him so he is an american man and uh in 2000 he was arrested in the uh biggest lsd manufacturing bust in history whoa but we'll go back in time a little bit here so he was in high school a very gifted student. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the the son of a of a, a very intelligent and sort of well off family. His father was a lawyer. His mother was a uh, researcher for the Center for Disease Control. Oh, interesting. He was a smart kid. His parents, uh, you know, brought him up well. He got a scholarship to Princeton. He ended up graduating from Harvard. He got a job at a university working at Berkeley. So like just you know a smart very smart guy did he do like science stuff? chemistry oh chemistry he there was a brilliant go. chemist okay also kind of like in those early days he became part of hippie culture yeah and uh, because he was like you know an intelligent person who was questioning how the government ran and how the world ran yeah exactly sense. and um i guess part of his journey there was uh him learning about uh lsd dropping acid so he didn't invent lsd and then learn no so a different man invented lsd who he actually knew <gasps> yeah Wow. But if one guy like invented LSD, he really uh, perfected the the <laughs> mass creation yeah. of it. Wow. Um, so he actually was arrested in like the late 80s mm-hmm. for producing LSD in large amounts. Um, he got a few years of jail, but um, he eventually got out. Uh, and a big part of why he got out is because he was an informant. Oh, interesting. So he knew a lot of other drug manufacturers and any chemist who was uh, synthesizing methamphetamine, he fucking turned them down because he thought that people who made, you know, meth and people who smuggled in cocaine and heroin were had blood on their hands yeah. and that those drugs are evil. And whereas LSD was like pure and good. Mm-hmm. Later, when he was interviewed in jail, he um, claimed that. He has taken more LSD than anyone on the planet. I believe and he it. He seems quite confident of that. Now, when you see from jail, I imagine he's one of those guys with like a special cell that's like it looks <laughs> like, like a, a like a magneto prison. <laughs> from no, no, X-Men. not like a magneto prison. I'm thinking like an old sort of like an English style like um like a smoking room, but it's in a cell. Oh, like I leather see. couches yeah. and books everywhere, and he's like wearing a bathrobe and a pipe, but yeah. like a very fancy one. So we'll fast forward to the year 2000. Uh, which is when he ended up getting arrested. But before then, he he had a job, like he had a day job. He oh, wasn't sure. just a uh, LSD manufacturer. What do you do? He was the 
deputy director at the University of California, uh, wow. Los Angeles, so UCLA, at the Drug Policy Research Program. Oh my God. <laughs> so he was a very high up person at this Ooh. drug research program. Yeah. And then in uh, 2000, in Topeka, Kansas, the DEA busted... Uh, just shortly outside of the compound where they were producing this LSD, mm-hmm. they busted him. So he was a marathon runner, very fast. <laughs> they pulled his car over and the dude sprinted into the woods. Yeah. And two cops who were like half his age could not keep up with him. Oh my God. It took them 18 hours to catch him. A farmer ended up calling and said there was someone sleeping in my barn. They had to go there. <laughs> they chased him again. But eventually they did catch him. Yeah. So he was pretty slippery, especially yeah. at the time he was 55 years old. So. That's incredible. You know, he's not like a violent person, is he? He's just like, mm. gotta go. No. So like I said, in the 80s, he had got caught for uh, making LSD, but then he kind of got out of jail. negotiated his way out and he kind of went it seemingly straight for several years like he did all this like impressive work at ucla um but what was really going on is not quite that (laughs) he went into a business with a partner named todd skinner and so todd skinner was not quite like him uh, whereas mr pickard was very um humble in a way like he was pulling in spoiler alert he was pulling in millions of dollars whoa that's crazy but he drove like a regular car he didn't wear fancy clothes his friend todd skinner though owned three porsches Mm. you know had a twenty thousand dollar suit like this guy liked to live the high life todd you fool and todd was you know where pickard was like this brilliant chemist todd was kind of the person who brought the whole operation together he's kind of a fixer okay i got it so what he did was he bought a missile silo (laughs) in topeka kansas they bought an abandoned missile silo okay and they turned it into a state-of-the-art like ultra advanced high tech laboratory. God damn. I want to see pictures so he bad. He outfitted it with computers, uh, servers, a 12 line phone bank, a tw- $120,000 sound system. Wow. Marble floors. Marble floors. The outside of the missile silo was converted into like this beautiful lush gardens. All these like horses, llamas, rabbits would roam the grounds. Aww. They had like private security on site, people there. It was basically like a hippie James Bond villain <laughs> lair. <laughs> Is, is like yeah. the actual vibe of this place like you know, a fucking missile silo yeah. like it's straight out of James Bond I wonder if like it's still around like has it been converted to condos because I want to live there <laughs> yeah. I want to live there so bad and in that silo they started to make acid and they made a lot of it mm-hmm. so when the DEA busted the operation acid availability in the United States dropped by 99.5% holy shit so he was supplying the entire country he was accounting for the majority of the world's acid supply it would take years for acid to actually become widely available in North America again it's really interesting especially because I feel like doing it locally within the United States is actually a big boon to them because you don't have to worry about the smuggling aspect yeah yeah exactly it's like it's so much easier i'm sure just to drive it around as opposed to like across borders the only thing they had to worry about was the laundering oh of course yes Makes a lot of sense because he was pulling in like i said millions of dollars so i mean how do you launder like millions of dollars i don't even and know how do you get it back into your own bank account if you want to you know have some money of your own i have no idea well, it turns out that UCLA received a lot of research money. Oh my God, that makes so much, you know what's, oh, that's so smart. And so what they did was they, uh, the money was stipulated that they were going to use it to f- to found a <laughs> drug policy research program. Oh, 
So the entire department that he was the head of, he funded himself. That's incredible. And then got the job as the director of the department. Yeah. So he laundered his money by forming an entire research department at a university. That is absolutely incredible. Do you know if they studied like legal drugs or illegal drugs or both? Or? Yeah. So they they studied both. They just studied the the spread of uh, uh, both legal and illegal drugs. Um, you know things like uh, addiction. Yeah. They studied like new and emerging drugs and what properties they have. Like the the research that they did was actually legitimate, like scientifically completely legitimate. Yeah. I'm and, sure it helped and good a lot. Work. It, yeah. did, it did help a lot. Yeah. It was good work. Did they shut it down after he? Got busted? Uh, that I'm not sure. Uh, I'm guessing a, a lot of the money for it probably stopped <laughs> flowing in inexplicably. Yeah. Uh, despite, you know, a couple of people testifying to this, they never proved it that but he exact like they, yeah, they know sense. that he was doing it, but they, they weren't able to uh, like 100 percent prove that that money was being laundered that way. That's actually a very interesting way to launder money. Yeah, it's quite clever. His friend uh, Skinner was not as adept at laundering money. Uh, as you can probably yeah, no tell, shit, he Mr. likes to spend Free a lot car. of it on, you know, Porsches and things. You can't drive three cars at once. Why do you need three cars? So he would go to like Vegas and buy like a bunch of chips at casinos mm. and then cash them back out and try and launder them that way. But what eventually happened is the DEA caught wise. Uh, once they were on to Skinner, Skinner rolled over on to Pickard. Oh, Skinner. The real, you know, brains of the operation. Skinner. And that's where they ended up taking them down. So once they arrested Pickard, he obviously initially claimed that you know i i wasn't making acid i was just uh you know i i was holding it for a friend yeah <laughs> he's like i i found out my my other friend you know my friend skinner here he was making uh acid and so i said oh no you can't do that so i was gonna go to his lab and, and tear it down but then the, the i got arrested obviously the jury didn't buy that skinner got 30 years pickard got two consecutive life life sentences i mean it feels so harsh is L- LSD that bad? Well, that's the thing. It's I guess it probably depends who you talk to, but mm-hmm. there's been a lot of research on like positive benefits of LSD. Yeah. I mean, there's some downsides too. Like when his not the the missile silo, but when his original LSD lab was um, taken by the DEA, one of the DEA agents accidentally got dosed with like a massive amount Holy shit. and was ho- hospitalized for days. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Yeah, that's really scary. And um, it's interesting because Pickard had actually warned them. He's like, I wouldn't go in that lab if you I were yeah. you. He's like, you better just burn it because someone's gonna get dosed. Yeah. And uh, he claimed that he accidentally overdosed himself all the time. Yeah. It's with, like ricin. It's with, like you touch a little bit of it. And it's yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he took like when he said he took more LSD than anyone in the world, he probably did because he probably <laughs> inadvertently exposed himself to yeah. like monstrous quality, like quantities of LSD. Wow. I just feel like if this happened 100 years from now, our policy on drugs would be different. He wouldn't yeah. get two life sentences. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he really was adamant that he was doing good for the world. So uh, it's actually true of a lot of, um, it's very rare that they bust LSD labs because a lot of the times the chemists refuse to um, turn on each other because they think they're doing kind of like good work. And he uh, he definitely thought that too. So once he was actually in prison, he became uh, a lot more open about the fact that he did it. Yeah. Um, In 2015 in prison, he wrote and published a book called The Rose of Perichelius. Is it like a novel or is it nonfiction? It is a fiction slash nonfiction. So Ah, it kind of blends the two. Creative nonfiction. Yeah. So 
the main character and the narrator is himself and he like goes and has conversations with six chemists in the Ooh. world and belonging to international drug uh, organizations dude that sounds really interesting in the book one of them says to him on the making of psychedelics it requires the requisite spirit the purest intent <laughs> and a flawless diamond morality wow so that's kind of how he thought of himself he yeah. was also a buddhist so he really it seems like he had a bit of an ego to be honest like yeah. if you think that you have a quote flawless diamond morality then i think i have a flawless diamond morality sure <laughs> don't I? but i mean in any event whether he was a good person or bad he loved he sure loved his lsd yeah um and he thought it was good so he thought he was doing a good thing and he was actually released from prison like very recently is it because like of few COVID? Months ago. they didn't want him to get it yeah so he was released for uh on compassionate grounds that's uh, really the age smart. of 75 yeah so he is uh, back and open another lab. (laughs) Maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be super surprised given that he's done that in the past. Uh, Although whether he'll use a uh, abandoned missile silo this time, (laughs) I'm not sure. That's incredible. But yeah, that's the story of the King of Acid. Well, I think it's really interesting just because there's so many drugs like that and probably LSD too. They're being used for actual like mental health research. Yeah. Like for like ketamine and mushrooms for like PTSD and like, drug-resistant depression. Yeah, they have been doing yeah. a lot of research lately. We should do a, a topic on that. Absolutely. Um, well, I know um, in Hallucinogenic Vancouver, drugs being tested uh, for a lot of things. Yeah, the university near us, I think, was doing a giant research on ketamine and they were looking for participants. Oh, there you go. In the past. I would totally do that. Would you? Yeah, like it's really interesting the way they give it to you. They give you a small dose. It's in a really relaxing room and then you have a therapy session yeah. while you're on it. You know, a lot of those hallucinogenic drugs I'd be pretty nervous to, to take, but in a clinical setting, yeah. it would and, feel and a lot safer. And you know it's safer. pure because they made it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I feel like it's basically there's like a, what is it called? Like a trip something? Trip sitter? Trip sitter, yeah. Yeah, like there's a, there's a you know, an educated trip sitter who is bringing you through it. Yeah, or it's a grad student. <laughs> it's a grad student. He was like, I just want to teach the I drugs. Am, I am your shaman <laughs> slash slash PhD candidate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you'd hope it was somebody with more experience, but you're probably right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to me teach you. Our show is new and you may not know this, but the first few weeks are the most important when it comes to getting the word out there. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Leave a review and tell a friend if you think they might like it too. You can connect with us at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you search Me Teach You. That's all one word with the letter U as in university. And of course, if you have any interesting topics that you think we should cover, email us at smart at meteachyou.com. 